Dwight Easler is a pastor friend of mine. We met several years ago when we served on a board together and we had to make some difficult decisions together. And as we served on that board and had to make those difficult decisions, we bonded and we developed a friendship. Uh, Dwight is an incredible pastor and preacher. He is a loving father and husband. He loves his church family. On March the 19th, 2011, he was in Cleveland Park in Spartanburg. He took his entire family there and, and 10 other adults and children from his church. They were going to go to this park to just spend some time together, to have a good time together. And they got on the miniature train that is at Cleveland Park. It was the first time that the train had, had been ridden that spring. They were the first people to ride it that spring. Dwight had ridden that train when he was a young child, but, but as they got on this train this particular day, the driver was driving a little too fast for the tracks. And when he made a turn, the train derailed. And, and it went falling down into a rocky ravine, dropping all 29 people who were on board the train down that rocky ravine. Benji, Dwight's six-year-old son, was was sitting next to him on that train. Benji died. March the 19th, 2011 was that day for Dwight. It was a day that changed his life forever. It was a day that changed his wife's life, Tabitha, forever. It was a day that changed his other two children's lives forever. If Dwight were here this morning speaking to us, he would say to you, he would say to me, God's been with me, he sustained me through this, but it's not the same. That day has changed everything. Now if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Job chapter 1. This is week 2 of that day. How do we stand when our life falls apart? How do we stand when our world falls apart? Last week, we, we began by looking at Job and we saw that Job was a blessed Man, he was blessed by God with a, a great family, great wealth, a great life. But in a matter of days, he lost everything. Everything was taken from him. All of his children died. All of his property and possessions were destroyed. His wealth was gone and his health was taken away. And yet, the Bible says in the midst of all of this, Job never stopped worshiping God you see I'm convinced that it really is easy to worship God when everything is going our way when the blessings are flowing when the universe is shining down on us but, but what about when the bottom falls out what about when we lose everything what about when every day seems like that day will we still honor God Will we still worship God? Will we still love God? Will we still serve God? That's the question that is asked about Job. And that's the question that the book of Job answers. Will we serve God? Will we honor God? Will we love Him? Will we worship Him when our entire world falls apart when everything we know when everything we love is taken away from us when all the blessings are gone and all that is left is heartache will we still worship God 
And the truth of the matter is, we will never know until that day comes. But if the answer is anything other than yes, then we may not really know God. And at the very least, we don't know Him as good as we thought we did. But this morning, as we continue to unpack the book of Job, I want us to look at that question, why? Why? I mean, I think each and every one of us would agree that, that we live in a world that is filled with pain and a world that is filled with problems. People we love die suddenly. They die unexpectedly. Other people that we care about get sick and, and sometimes suffer for months and years in agony. People lose their jobs, their possessions, and everything else. Families are, are ripped apart. And the question is, why? I mean, why do these things happen? If, if God is indeed God, and if God is on his throne, and if God is sovereign, why do these things happen? Well, I think biblically there are several reasons. I want to give you three right now first bad things happen we we live in a life filled with problems and pain because we are a fallen people when the first man and the first woman disobeyed God and sinned it not only had devastating effects on them personally it had devastating effects on each of us who would be born into their family all the human race was affected by their sin you see their sin infected each of us because each of us will die. The wages of sin is death. The wages of their sin was death. They died. And the wages of our sin, being born into their family, is death. We will die. But it gets worse. You see, we not only reap the consequences of their sin, we reap the symptoms of their sin. And those symptoms show up in a variety of ways, self-centeredness, selfishness, insecurity, pride, a host of other ways. We are told in the Bible, and it is evident that their sin has infected us from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. Our eyes are infected, the way we look at people, the way we look at things, our mind is infected, the way we think our heart is infected, the things that we are drawn to. This sin that, that we inherited from our ancestors, Adam and Eve, has infected every part of our life. And because of this, you and I do bad things. All of us do. Some do more bad things than others. Some do worse things than others, but we all do bad things as a result of our fallen nature. And because of this, people get hurt. Some people seem to do bad things without any remorse, any guilt, any shame. People rob and they kill, they rape, they lie, they spread vicious rumors, they drive drunk without any evidence that they ever care that they are hurting other people. 
Some others of us have convinced ourselves that the bad things that we do aren't really bad. The bad things that we do are, in actuality, good. We believe that the bad things are not bad, they're good. And then there are others of us who do bad things, and, and immediately when we do these bad things, we know it's wrong. We wish we hadn't done these bad things, but we did them. And people are hurt because of it. See, because of our choices, because we are a fallen people, people are hurt and lives are destroyed by the things that we do. Terrorists commit acts of terror. Nations want to control other nations. People want to abuse other people. Why? Why? Because we live in a fallen race. We are a fallen people, each and every one of us. And because of it, we're going to hurt people, and other people are going to hurt people, and bad things are going to happen. Bad things also happen because we live in a fallen world. You see, it's not only the human race that was impacted by Adam and Eve's sin. We are told that, that all creation was corrupted by their sin. The earthquakes, the, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, the tsunamis that kill thousands upon thousands of people are all the indirect result of sin. The droughts that destroy crops and, and lead to the starvation of hundreds of thousands of people are all the result of sin. The lightning strikes that come from the heavens and, and start forest fires that burn up tens of thousands of acres and property are all the indirect result of sin. See, bad things happen. Problems come into our life. Pain is experienced because we're a fallen people and we live in a fallen world. But there's a third reason, and that is we have a fallen enemy. You see, before creation of the human race, God created spiritual beings. And these spiritual beings were called angels. And there was one angel in particular, he went by the name Lucifer, and we are told that Lucifer was the most wise, the most powerful, the most beautiful of all the created beings. Lucifer, we are told, was the worship leader of the heavenly host but over time Lucifer no longer wanted to worship God he wanted to be worshiped by others he wanted the glory that was due to God he wanted to sit on God's throne and so the created along with a third of the angels rebelled against the creator but the rebellion was was put um, to death immediately. And the Bible tells us that, that Satan was cast from the presence of God. He lost his place among the heavenly host. Satan never repented. He never asked God's forgiveness for his sin. And the truth of the matter is he hates God and everything God does, he still desires to be worshipped. He is still filled with pride. He still desires to rob God of God's glory. And because you and I, human beings, are the crown of God's creation, the Bible says that we are created in the image and the likeness of God, and we are told that God created us to rule and reign with Him. Satan hates us. You see, the very thing 
that Satan wanted. He wanted to rule in heaven. God has promised to us. God says that we who are created in his image are one day going to rule and reign with him. And so Satan hates us. And Satan's desire is to destroy us. So understand, the problems that we face in this world are the result of us being a fallen people. We have fallen bodies. We are part of a fallen race. We live in a fallen world that's contaminated by sin. But we also have a fallen enemy. And his desire is to destroy our lives. Now that takes us to to the passage I want us to focus on this morning. Job chapter 1 beginning in verse 6. Let's go ahead and read this. One day the members of the heavenly host came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that goes on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Reach out. Take away everything he has. He'll surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house. A messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided us, they stole all the animals, killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven, has burned up your sheep and all your shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped. To tell you. Now go down to Job chapter 2, verse 1. One day the members of the heavenly court came again to present themselves before the Lord. And the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from? The Lord asked Satan. Satan answered, The Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. The Lord asked, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God, stays away from evil. And he has maintained his integrity even though you urged me to harm him without cause. 
Satan replied to the Lord, skin for skin. Man would give up everything he has to save his life. Reach out and take away his health and he will surely curse you to your face. All right. Do with him as you please, the Lord said to Satan, but spare his life. So Satan left the Lord's presence, struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. No matter how many times I read that story, it's unsettling to me. God has called a meeting in heaven of the heavenly host. And in walks Satan, the one who had rebelled against God, the one who had desired to sit on the throne of God, the one who desires to rob God of his glory. In walks Satan. We don't know from this story whether he was invited in or whether he just came in but God allowed him in and God questioned him where you been what you been doing Satan said I've been patrolling the earth I've been watching and God says have you noticed Job now let me just stop there for just a second. I got to be honest with you, I don't want God to do that to me. I mean, no matter how righteous I become, no matter how blameless I may eventually appear, no matter how much integrity I have, no matter how much I fear God and I stay away from evil, I do not want God to say, hey Satan, have you noticed Rocky? I would rather fly under the radar. I would rather avoid Satan's scrutiny. But, but God says, have you noticed my servant Job? And Job says, well, yeah. The wealthiest man in the entire region. You blessed him beyond measure. You put a hedge of protection around him. I, I can't touch him nor his possessions, nor any of his family. I mean, no wonder Job loves you. You pour out the blessings on his life, but you let me have a go at him. You let me attack him. He won't bless you anymore. He won't worship you anymore. He won't love you. He will curse you to your God gives permission. He says, go at it. Give Job your best shot, only don't harm his body. And Satan did. In a matter of minutes, Job received word that all of his children died. All of his servants had died. All of his possessions were destroyed. I, I, I can never read that story without getting heartbroken for Job. 
I, I know what it's like to lose a child. I, I don't know what it's like to lose every child in one fell swoop. And on top of that, lose every single thing I have. And yet, that's what happened to Job. And yet, in the midst of all of it, Job never cursed God. The truth of the matter is, and we're going to focus on this next week, he worshiped God. Well, that's not the end of the story. We're told in chapter 2 that there was another encounter in heaven, and, and the heavenly host came again, and, and in walks Satan. And God says, what have you been doing? He says, I've been patrolling the earth, the same thing he was doing before. I've been watching, the same thing he was doing before. And Job says again, have you seen my servant Job? Even though I took my protection off of him, even though I allowed you to give him your best shot, he has still maintained his integrity. Job says, sure. You haven't let me touch him. Man inevitably is going to do anything and everything to protect himself. And so you let me hit him with my best shot. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, he will curse you. God says, go at it. You can't kill him. But you can strike him. And he did. And we read in chapter 2 how he was covered with boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet and and we think that's awful, we think that's terrible, and some of us have seen boils, and we know how painful that can be, but, but that, that doesn't begin to describe what Job was going through, because as you read Job, you discover that, that these boils were infected, worms were crawling in them. We are told that, that something was going on inside of him that is eating away at him from the inside. And so here was Job, he was being eaten away from the outside with these boils and sores. He was being eaten away on the inside. He was in misery. He was in absolute pain. And yet, in the midst of it all, he never cursed God. He never quit worshiping. He questioned. He said, why is this happening? He wanted answers. But in all of it, in all of it, he stayed true. Satan gave him his best shot, and yet Job remained blameless. Job remained a man of integrity. Job stayed away from evil. Job continued to fear God. And if Job did, on the worst day of his life, on that day, then you and I can too. But there's some things that we need to know about our enemy, Satan. And so I want to give these to you. We're going to have to go through them quick. There's seven. They're important. We'll, we'll look at them. You can unpack them on your own if you need to. But the first thing you need to understand about Satan is this. He has access to God's throne. Some people have this idea that Satan is in hell right now. Now there's this old saying, it's better to rule in hell than to serve in heaven. And so we believe, many people, that Satan is in hell right now. Satan's not in hell. 
As a matter of fact, Jesus said that Satan is the ruler of this world. Satan is the prince of this world. He and his army of fallen angels are behind the scenes ruling this fallen world and the fallen system we live in. So Satan is in this world, controlling this world, patrolling this world. But Satan not only lives in this world, the Bible tells us he has access to heaven. Now we're told this in Job 1 and Job 2, and there are some people that may say, but, but this was a one-time thing. God was proving a point, but that's not what the Bible teaches. In, in Revelation chapter 12, when we're reading about the end days, we read this in verse 10. It says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It is come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Then listen to what it says. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down. He's finally been denied access. Then listen to what it says. The one who accuses them before our God day and night. Do you get what this is saying? It's saying that not a day goes by that Satan does not come before the throne of God accusing us of things that we have done, blaming us for things that we have done, pointing out our failures, bragging about how messed up the world is. Have you ever been accused by someone of something? Now, I'm not talking about to your face. That, that's one thing, to be accused to your face. Have you ever been accused by someone to someone else? Now, here's what I know. It's no fun being accused whether what we're accused of is true or not. Would you agree with that? And yet, that's what the Bible says Satan does. Before the throne, night and day, he is accusing us. You see, Satan may whisper in our ear that he has our back, but when he stands before God, he is screaming out how messed up we are, how sorry we are, how sinful we are. So Satan has access to heaven, and what he is doing there is accusing you. Second, he is patrolling the earth, watching everything. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, it says, Stay alert, watch out, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is like a shark who is always on the move looking for his next victim, his next target. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be all places at once, but he can be somewhere in an instant because he is a spiritual being. And so in other words, in one moment he can be in Moscow, in another moment he can be in Washington, D.C., and in another moment he can be in North Korea. He can move from place to place to place instantaneously. But he also has an army of fallen angels at his disposal working for him. And he has a surveillance system in place that allows him to watch us and keep track of everything we're doing. One of the things that's being debated in our country right now is how much surveillance the government should have on private citizens. You do know, don't you, that 
the government has the potential, the government has the power to watch you a lot more than you think. A couple of years ago, Steve Allen and myself were in a Middle Eastern country, and while we were there, the missionary that we were with in that country told us that any time we got together to talk about anything other than sports or the culture, we would have to turn off our phones and we would have to put them somewhere else. When we traveled, we would turn off our phones and we would put them in a glove box. When we met, we would take our phones, put them in a basket and put them in another room. And the reason we had to do that is because the government had the ability to listen in through our phones to our conversations. The government had the ability to turn on the cameras on our phones and see us and see what we were doing. Now, if the government already has the ability to do those things, then how much more does the wisest, most intelligent, most powerful spiritual being ever created have a surveillance system in place to monitor us? And he is. He is watching our every move. He is listening to our every word. He is seeing patterns. He is trying to spot weak spots in our life so that he can know how to attack us to defeat us. Here's the third thing. Satan hates you. The word Satan means adversary. It means enemy. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to ruin your testimony. Jesus said that the thief has come to kill and to steal and destroy. And never forget, Satan is jealous. And when God created us in his image, in his likeness, to rule and reign with him, Satan immediately hated us and put it on his to-do list to destroy us. Because he wants worship. He wants to rule. And yet God has said that I've created you in my image, you in my likeness, and I'm giving you the right one day to sit with me on my throne and rule and reign creation with me. Satan hates you. Fourth, he wants to take the glory that is due to God. Notice what Satan said. He said, reach out your hand, take away everything he has, and certainly he will curse you. That's Satan's ultimate goal to get all of creation to curse God. And that is what happens in Revelation 16, by the way, when the great tribulation is taking place and God is judging the world. And, and during this time, this great revival is taking place, but, but many of the powers and the people in the world, the majority of the people in the world, instead of confessing their sin and repenting, the Bible says that they look up to heavens, they hold up their hands, and they curse God. And that's what Satan wants. Satan's desire is for creation that was created to worship God, to curse God, and worship created things. Fifth, Satan can manipulate people and elements to accomplish his purposes. Satan can manipulate people. He used the Sabians. He used the Chaldeans. Satan can manipulate the weather. Can he control the weather? I don't believe he can control it, but he can manipulate it. And he certainly manipulated it here, didn't he? 
with the storms that came, with the lightning that came, with the wind that came. He didn't just wait for these things to happen. He caused these things to happen. I, I, I can imagine the headlines in us. Sabians attack area ranch. Lightning destroys herd of sheep and shepherds. Chaldean raiding party strikes region. Strong wind destroys house and an entire family. City leader contracts deadly disease. Those were the headlines of that day. And Satan was behind the scenes manipulating the headlines. And hear me. If Satan was behind the scenes manipulating world events back then to accomplish his dastardly purpose, then he is certainly behind the scenes today manipulating events to accomplish his purpose. The sixth truth is the one that's tough. One, two, three, four, five, we can handle those. Six, God allows Satan to attack us. It's tough. You see, as we read chapter 1 and chapter 2, it becomes evident that Satan cannot touch God's people without God's permission. The Lord had placed this hedge around Job, around his family, around all that he owned, and, and Satan was unable to penetrate that hedge. He could only touch Job, Job's life, Job's possession, with God's permission. Now here's what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe the Bible teaches that those who have rejected God are under Satan's control. And apart from God at times intervening and showing mercy, the world who has rejected God are under Satan's control. And Satan can do anything he wants to those who have rejected God. But those who have received God through his son Jesus, they're his family. God's going to protect them. God's going to put a hedge around them. And it is only through God's permission that Satan can touch a child of God. Now some of you are inevitably asking right now, well, why does God ever let Satan do this? Why does God let these bad things happen? I mean, if God could stop it, why doesn't God stop it? Well, let's think about it this way. If you have a little boy, and your little boy is going to kindergarten for the very first time in August, and you walk your little boy to school, you walk him into the school, you hand him off to the teacher, and you say, this is my little boy. At 3 o'clock, I'm going to be back, and I'm going to pick up my little boy, and I'm going to walk him home. Well, if he's in kindergarten, we wouldn't think much about that, would we? We would think that's a good father protecting his son. But let's fast forward 13 years. That little boy is now a 12th grader. And the father walks his son to school. Walks him into the school building, walks him up to the classroom, walks to the teacher and said, this is my son. Take care of him. Don't let anything happen to him. And at 3 o'clock, I'm going to be back to pick him up so that nothing happens to him on the way home. Would that seem a little strange to you? I've got to be honest with you, it would seem real strange to me. Because I think we recognize that 
that it's one thing to put this hedge of protection around a kid when, when they're real young and not let anything happen to them. But as they get older, we, we begin to remove that hedge of protection so that they can grow up, so that they can mature, so that they can learn how to make decisions in the world, so that they can ha learn how to handle problems in difficult times. There comes a point when the bully hits, we don't stand in front of the bully and say, leave my son alone. There comes a point where we back off and say, son, it's time to learn how to handle your own battles. It's either time to learn how to negotiate or how to fight. You've got to do that if you want your children to grow up. Now, now, this is what you're saying. I understand that when it comes to my child, and I know that I have to let go and let my child grow up, and the only way they can grow up is through making decisions and experiencing some hurt and some pain, but that's my child. We're talking about life and death with God. Wait a second. Could we not be talking about the same thing with our children? I mean, let's be honest. Children walk home from school and are attacked by gangs and are killed on a regular basis in America. Children walk home from school and are kidnapped by child predators and are sold in the slave trade every single week in America. So is there really any difference? We as parents recognize that, that there comes a point in life where we have to let our kids grow up. We have to let them make decisions, even decisions that may harm them. But we've got to do that if they're going to ever grow up. And maybe, just maybe, God does the same thing with us. Maybe God lets us go through pain. Maybe God lets us go through heartache. Maybe God lets us go through suffering so that we can grow up, so that we can mature, so that we can even do more for his kingdom. There's one final truth here, and that's this. God can limit his attacks, Satan's attacks. You see, God only allows us to go through what he knows beforehand that we can handle if we trust him. Why did, why did God allow Satan to take away Job's family, Job's possessions. He knew Job. Why did God allow Job to experience all of this physical pain and suffering? He knew Job. And he knew Job, if Job was still trust, would make it through. And everything would be better in the end than it ever was at the beginning. Here's what it says in Genesis 50, I believe it is. Joseph is meeting with his brothers. His brothers now know that Joseph is the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph, the one that they sold into slavery, the one that they thought was surely dead by now. He's now the one that holds their fate in his hands and and they're scared to death. You remember that? And 
And as they're there trembling before Joseph, Joseph says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. You thought that this was what was going to happen from what you did. But God knew all along that if I would stay true, if I would stay faithful, this is what would happen. In Romans 8, it says, All things work together for good to those that love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. On May the 26th, when my son passed away, God could have brought my son back. I believe that was all my heart. I mean, it, it didn't matter how long he had not been breathing. God could have taken his lifeless body and breathed life into it. I mean, he did that with Lazarus after three days. Certainly, he could have done it with my son after three hours. But God didn't. The God I serve had the power to heal my son, to bring my son back to life, and yet he didn't. How, how can I still serve him? How can I still love him? How can I have a desire to worship him with all of my being? Here's how. I know that what my enemy means for evil God will use for good. I know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. And I don't know. I don't know the why. Job never was given the reason why. Do you know that? He asked. God said, who are you to question me? God never told him why. I may never know why my son died, but I know God's on his throne. I know God is good, and, and I know that he takes the horrific things of life and he brings good out of them. Perhaps, maybe, just maybe, multitudes of people who were like Josh are going to give their life to Jesus. Maybe, just maybe, because of how God has been with my family as we have walked through this journey, God is going to help other people as they have to battle the same kind of journeys. But maybe, just maybe, my wife and I have talked about this. Maybe, maybe my son Josh knew God and loved him but was just so afraid to surrender and God realized I don't know maybe God realized he's never he's never gonna he's never gonna fully surrender and he's gonna struggle with the things that are destroying him down here I love him too much to let him go through that anymore I'm taking him home you see I don't know why could it be that? Yeah. Could it be something else? Yes, I don't know, but I know who my Redeemer is. I believe in Him and I trust Him. 
And let me tell you what. If you know him, you'll trust him. Come hell, come high water, come whatever may come your way. So the question is, do you know him? I want you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed. I want you to know we have an enemy that wants to destroy you. And apart from you humbling yourself before God, surrendering your life to him, and letting him control you, he will destroy you sooner or later. And if you're tired of living under his control, if you're tired of him yanking your chains, and you're ready to surrender and submit your life to the one who created you and loved you and has a plan for you and will work everything out for good, even the bad. And I want to encourage you this morning to pray this prayer to him right now. Lord God, I humbly come to you asking you to forgive me. Forgive me for my self-centeredness. Forgive me for trying to sit on the throne of my life. Forgive me for my pride. Forgive me for my unwillingness to trust you. Forgive me. Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven. So that I could have eternal life. So that sin no longer would have to reign in my life. And today, Jesus, I'm trusting you. And I'm submitting to you. I'm giving you my life. Holy Spirit, come into me. Take control. Give me the desire and give me the power to live a life that's pleasing to you. I no longer want to live my way. I want to live for you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer.